Hi everyone, this is Pastor Brett from First Baptist Church here in Cherryvale, Kansas, and I want to welcome you to our Cherryvale First Baptist Church sermon podcast. Our prayer is that the Lord will speak to you through His Word for His people. If you're looking for a church home, we encourage you to join us for our celebration service every Sunday morning at 1045. It's a great time of praising our Lord and hearing from Him. We are just a group of passionate followers of Jesus Christ with a desire to worship Him and take His message of hope to the heartland. If you want to find out more information about our church, you can look at our website, www.fbcherryvale.org. My sermon will begin in just a moment, and thanks again for listening. I invite you this morning to find your Bibles and turn back with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 1. As you're turning there, have you ever heard the book called Memory's Kitchen? It came out sometime in the mid-1990s. It's an interesting recipe book. Now, in this book, there are many recipes in there that are incorrect. And truthfully, if you'd follow any of these recipes, it would probably be something that would be very inedible. These incorrect recipes, they were not a mistake by the publisher. They purposely published these incorrect recipes. Now, you probably have the same questions I had when I first heard about this. Number one is this. Why would anyone even publish a book that would have wrong recipes in it? And then number two, why in the world would anybody ever want to buy a book that has wrong recipes? You see, these incorrect recipes... That's what this book is really all about. This book is a compilation of recipes that were compiled by Jewish women who were put in a concentration camp by the Nazis. The camp they were in is a camp called Terezin. It was in Czechoslovakia. It was a camp that was used to deceive the world. You see, this camp, it had more freedoms than any of the other death camps during the war. But in spite of those freedoms, many people still died, mostly of starvation. One of the ways that these Jewish women, that they dealt with their starvation was remembering the recipes that they used to make when they were free. They wrote down these recipes to preserve them. And all of these recipes were written only from memory. And that's why so many of them were incorrect. These incorrect recipes in this book, in Memory's Kitchen, they are part of the story behind the recipes. This is one instance where in life being wrong was a good thing. But now let's bring that to our topic for today. When it comes to the gospel message, when it comes to the message of salvation through faith alone, in Christ alone, is there room for being wrong? In the ingredients that make up the gospel, can we be wrong in what we profess? These ingredients that make up the gospel, they are essential. And any added ingredient or anything left out of the message can have a terrible consequence. And that's what Paul, that's what he's dealing with today in our message to the Galatians. So please stand in honor of reading God's word. We're reading Galatians chapter 1 verses 6 through 10. This is what it says. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message from Paul. We thank you for his challenge to the gospel. Lord, I pray that you'll open our hearts, open our eyes, and and help us see what the true gospel is and help us understand how to defend ourselves against a false gospel that may come into our life. 
Give us ears to hear you this morning, Lord. Get me out of the way so your word can speak to each and every one here today. It's in your name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. You may be seated. Let me begin by saying that what we see here is Paul. He was amazed at how easy these believers were turning away. They were giving up on the good news of the gospel of Christ. They had given in to this bad news that was being taught now to them. Paul, his concern was not over the alternative viewpoints of interpretation. He was warning these Galatian Christians. He was warning them about turning from the truths that they had been taught to the lies that they were now receiving. From what was right to now what is wrong. Paul made it very clear he wasn't concerned about competing in any popularity with these other messengers. He simply wanted it understood that once the gospel truth has been declared, that all amendments to that gospel are false. And Paul also predicted some very dire consequences for those that would propagate any false gospel. You see, Paul, he didn't waste any time here getting to the heart of the problem because the problem here, it was so serious. The problem was these false teachers. They were coming in and they were giving this different ingredient for salvation, ingredients that were opposite of the grace of God that they had been taught before. And what Paul's concerned about most here is the nature of the good news of Jesus Christ, this thing that we call the gospel. In verses 6 through 9, the word ugalian, which we translate gospel, it's used in there four separate times. The ingredients of the gospel, they are serious business. What's at stake here? It's not inedible food like in our story earlier, but it's the glory of Christ that is at stake and a Christless eternity for many souls that would believe in a false gospel. That's why Paul, that's why he writes with such intensity and urgency to these Galatians. Let's look at what Paul's teaching us this morning. The first thing we're going to see under number one, we see the Galatian tragedy. Look with me again at verse 6. Paul says here, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul's saying here, you people, you amaze me. You simply amaze me. And then he begins here by expressing his dismay at the conduct of these so-called Galatian Christian believers. Look at it. Paul urgently introduces some astounding news to them. And to our surprise, it's laced with criticism over the conduct of these believers, the ones that are receiving this letter from Paul. He had expected better conduct and behavior from those who had accepted Christ when he made his missionary journeys through town. Paul moved directly to this most important issue, which is the perversion of the gospel of Christ. Now, normally in Paul's letters, when we read them, we'd see that he would be very tactful in using words. He'd use words of praise and encouragement before he would jump to his words of correction and reproof, but not here. Because of the very essence of the gospel being at stake, he went straight for the heart of the issue. Church, there are some things that cannot be tolerated at all if Christ is to save and Christianity is to stand. Nonetheless, Paul's outburst here, it's not about indignation. It's not one of resentment. Paul's rebukes here. He rebukes these people, but he does not reject these people. He's convinced that even though they're in the process now of following this gospel, this alternative gospel, they're quickly deserting the one that he had taught them about who called them that they would repent of that move. Before new or more immature believers, before they are solidified in their faith today, what we see is many times there's cult members, there's some religious sects. They often prey on these people just like those Judaizers did in these ungrounded believers in Paul's day. They want to move these people. They want to move them from grace over to the law. They want to move them from liberty over to legalism by imposing their man-made demands, their man-made standards on their Christian walk. 
The man in this instance was the Judaizers that Paul was talking about. They move in, and what they're doing is they're placing their interpretation above the Word of God and the interpretation of the Holy Spirit upon that Word. They infatuate people with the thought that they have. These Judaizers, they have what these other people are missing. They have what you're looking for in life. They have what you need. And you need something else is what they were telling them. And they couldn't get it all or even get enough when they received Christ that wasn't enough for them. They need something else. And that they, these Judaizers and their group alone, they have what you need. The unstable at times, they follow just like little children do when a stranger leads them away with a piece of candy. These people, they accepted the call of the Holy Spirit, the call to salvation, full and free when Paul was on his missionary journey. And this is the only way that we know that salvation is offered. It's a free gift. But the grace of Christ, that's the basic theme of this letter. And grace, stated simply, we talked about it last week, but let's say it again. Grace is God's favor to undeserving sinners. And that's each and every one of us here today. The grace of God is what saves, and that's what saved them back in Paul's day as well. These Galatians, they weren't simply changing churches. They were accepting a completely different gospel, a different kind and character of gospel. This gospel differed radically from Paul's. They substituted one that proclaimed, well, you must have faith, but you must have something else. And that's the way to salvation. This is shocking and a serious matter to Paul. When people, when they set up these additional requirements or experiences for salvation, what they're doing is they're denying the sufficiency of Christ's death on the cross. It's apostasy. It's just like that which we see in Israel when they were worshiping the golden calves while Moses was up on Mount Sinai. They had thought that this calf was the one that brought them out of Egypt. Understand, accepted grace leads to peace. Grace deserted leads to distortion. And as we all know, a simple twisting of the truth is more difficult to spot than an outright lie. These Judaizers, they were simply in there twisting the truth of the gospel around. They claimed to follow Christ, but they denied his work on the cross that it was sufficient for salvation. There will always be people in the world who will pervert the good news. Either they don't understand what the Bible teaches or they're really just uncomfortable with the truth as it stands. How can you tell when people are twisting the truth? How about this? Before accepting the teaching of any group, how about you find out what that group teaches about Jesus? If you find out what they teach about Jesus, then you can match that truth up with God's word. If those two don't match, then what they're teaching is perverted. And that's what we have here in the behavior of these Galatians. It's a cancer of the heart that he is dealing with. How could they desert this gospel? How could they leave it so quickly after Paul had left them, especially for something that's not even a gospel message? But we still see it in the world. We see it even today. We must continually, friends, be on guard against any false gospel or really any false teaching that comes our way lest we become a tragedy in the eyes of God just like these Galatians did. So first we saw the Galatian tragedy. Next under number two, let's examine what they were teaching. Let's look at their twisted truth. Look with me again at verse 7. It says, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. What Paul's saying here to us is this. There are some who are throwing you into confusion. And what they want to do is they want to distort. They want to pervert the gospel of Christ. The reference here is clearly to these self-righteous Judaizers that had moved into the area. The ones who had abandoned the Jerusalem church to those who had followed behind Paul. Wanting to throw these people into all kinds of confusion about the truth. 
The word distort here or pervert, as it says in some translations, that's a very strong word. It's only used in two other places in the New Testament. It means to turn about. It means to turn upside down the true gospel. I mean, no wonder they were troubled people turning upside down the gospel. The Greek word for disturbing used in this verse, it's also used in Acts 15.24. It's in a letter the Jerusalem Council wrote to these Gentile believers. We see the word for disturbing used there. It says, since we have heard that some persons had gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds. What exactly are those words that were disturbing them? Let's look at Acts 15.1. It said, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This is what the teachers were teaching. And what they were teaching was distorting this fundamental truth of the gospel. The reason this teaching is distorting the gospel is because it declares that Jesus himself, he is not enough to save you. It says you need more than Jesus. You need more than him. He alone cannot save you. You have to add works to what Christ has done. Friends, anything that adds to, anything that takes away from the gospel that Jesus saves, and he alone is what is required, is a distortion of the gospel. In fact, it's not really a gospel at all. This distortion, it still takes place in the world today. There are some large denominations, there are some large churches that will teach you that Jesus is not enough. They'll combine Christ with your works. Or if you give them money, well, then you can be saved. Or maybe if you become members of their church, you can be saved. Or you have to do good deeds in order to be saved. Some say that Christ is not enough. Oh, you must be baptized in order to be fully saved. Church, let me tell you, this is a clear distortion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These false teachers in Galatia were distorting the gospel. And they were now convincing these Galatian believers to desert the gospel of Christ for this other gospel that they were teaching, the false gospel that they were professing. And Paul, he doesn't hold back from letting these distorters of the gospel know exactly where they stand with God. Listen to what Paul said. Look at verse 8 again. It says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. These are some very harsh words that Paul is saying right here. Some say it's an outburst on the part of Paul, not an actual reality. But is it? The Greek word anathema is the word we translate as accursed. It's used in the Greek for things devoted to destruction. A person who doesn't love God is devoted to destruction. A person who distorts the gospel is devoted to destruction. The fact that Paul includes himself and the angels in the curse that he's speaking here shows that it's more than just a simple outburst from Paul. Furthermore, the fact that he repeats it again down in verse 9, look what he says. And as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This is evidence here that it's not an outburst on his part. Paul here is eagerly following the example of Christ and giving his warnings. Look at what Jesus said. This is in Mark 9, 42. He said, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. Those are some serious words that Christ spoke right there. And moreover, what Jesus said is what Paul is saying to these Galatians in our passage today. If you distort the gospel of Christ, you can incite people to live in a Christless eternity. 
That's why it was so serious to him, this distortion of the gospel. When you add anything to, when you subtract anything from, you take away from the glory of Christ and people will stumble in a Christless eternity. Many of you probably know the name Joseph Smith. He's the founder of Mormonism. He claimed that he was visited by the angel Moroni. This angel, he said, had informed him that, well, the true gospel had been corrupted after that apostolic age. And thus, it had been absent from the earth. This true gospel, he said, was absent from the earth for nearly 19 centuries now. Smith viewed his calling as a restoration to true Christianity to the world. The Mormon gospel itself, I don't know what you know about it, but it's based on self-effort. It's based on submission to baptism for regeneration, for the acceptance of Joseph Smith himself as God's end-time prophet. It's a belief in the inspired Mormon scriptures and the keeping of the word of wisdom, which includes abstinence from caffeine, tobacco, alcohol, and so many other things. Similarly, when we look at Islam, it teaches that the angel Gabriel, he delivered the Koran to Muhammad. But Paul here... He identified such human or angelic revelations as contrary gospels. And he pronounced a curse upon those who would proclaim these false gospels in the world. It's a twisted truth. It's a condemnable behavior, a distorted gospel. That's why we must continue, friends, to guard the distinctness of the gospel because it is so crucial. I'm reminded of a story of two pastors. There was one pastor, he spent most of his time preaching against error preaching against sin. And the other pastor, he spent most of his time preaching the distinctness of the gospel. Now the latter pastor, he was asked why he didn't preach against error, why he didn't preach against sin. He said, if you want to see if something is crooked, what do you do? You place it against something that is straight. You put this thing that is straight right next to it and you compare. Likewise, if you want to see if somebody is preaching a distorted gospel, you place it aside the true gospel of Jesus Christ then you will know whether it's perverted or true. You put it aside those true ingredients that Christ died for our sins and he alone is our propitiation for our sins. Don't let a false gospel impact you or your family. First, we saw the Galatian tragedy. Second, we examined a twisted truth. We're going to close this morning under number three. We're going to see what should be the gospel-oriented teacher. Look with me at verse 10. It says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul, he warns us here. He warns us about those who are just simply out there seeking human approval. Here one can detect Paul's echo of his opponent's accusations. All the insinuations that they were making against him while he was trying to profess the gospel to these people. They probably said that Paul was trying to, he's just trying to win over human favor by the gospel that he's preaching. He's not really worried about divine favor. He's more interested in human favor. Saying that he tries to please everyone. That everybody will want to follow him if he makes them all happy. And what was Paul's answer to that? He was basically saying, would a popularity seeker, would he hurl curses at people? Look, he says, if it's not clear that it's not man that I'm seeking approval of, you don't get it. I am seeking the approval of God and God alone. Paul pleased men only when it didn't contradict him pleasing God and what God had him do. When Verdi, when he produced his first opera in Florence, the composer stood all by himself, stood in the shadows, but he kept an eye in the face of one man that was in the audience. It was the great Rossini. It didn't matter to Verdi whether the people in the hall, whether they were cheering him or they were jeering him the whole time. All he wanted was a smile of approval from that master musician 
Rossini. And so it's the same way with Paul. He knew what it was to suffer for the gospel, but the approval or disapproval of men, that didn't move him at all. What did move him? Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 9. He said, so whatever we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Paul only wanted the approval of Jesus Christ. That's the only approval that he sought. The servant of God is constantly tempted to compromise in order to attract and to please men. When D.L. Moody, when he was preaching in England, a worker had come up to the platform as he was teaching and told him there was a very important nobleman that had come into the service. And what was Moody's reply? He simply looked at that young man and he said, May the meeting be a blessing to him. And he went on and he preached just as he was preaching before without trying to impress anybody in that hall. Paul was not a politician. Paul was an ambassador. It wasn't Paul but his adversaries that were trying to avoid the persecution of the day. Understand, people pleasing, it conflicts with being a servant of Christ. True servants, they know the master and they work for the master's priorities. They're not diverted from the main task by other works from other servants or would-be masters in, in this world trying to guide them down those paths. Gaining the approval of others, what it does is it distracts us from pleasing God. As we, as Christians, do the will of God, we must resist the desire to simply be people pleasers in all we do. The clarifying question really to every believer is this, who are you really serving? Who is it you're trying to please? If the answer is people, then understand you're going to be tossed back and forth by their conflicting demands and expectations all the time. But if the answer is Christ, we'll only have one person that we need to please in life. And we won't have to worry about how much or how little we're pleasing others. Seeking to serve Christ, seeking to serve Him alone, it will settle many conflicts of interest. So I must ask, do you spend your time trying to please everybody? Is that your goal? Is that what you're trying to do? Paul, he didn't apologize here for his straightforward words, knowing he couldn't serve Christ faithfully if he allowed these Galatian Christians to remain going down the wrong path that they were going down. Whose approval is it that you are seeking? Are you seeking the approval of others? Or is it God that you're seeking the approval of? Friends, seek God's approval above anyone else's. Just a word about relationships here before we close. When you enter a relationship, be it romantic, social, business, whatever, be careful what you permit in the beginning because that's what's going to come to be expected throughout that relationship. For example, if you have to buy someone's friendship by letting them manipulate you, well, then just be prepared for them to keep on doing that, to keep paying for whatever it is you've done or will have to continue to do, and don't plan on them being the ones that change in that relationship. Just think how difficult it is to change you. So what are your chances, the chances of you changing someone else? Decide now what you can live with later on and stop living like there's no tomorrow because tomorrow it always comes. In Proverbs 29, 25, Solomon says this, The fear of man lays a snare. Relationships can't thrive when one person is calling the shots while the other one just simply struggles for their approval. Paul said he had no interest at all in trying to make these people in that area simply accept him. His only interest in what he was doing was pleasing God. Listen, 
God, he will never ask you to violate your values. He'll never ask you to disobey his will just to be in the good graces of another person. In fact, it's better to be alone. It's better for you to be out there in the world alone than to allow anyone other than God control you. Let people know up front that while you'd like their approval, you can live without it if you have to. Let me close with this. Religious people, sometimes they set out trying to please God rather than receive God. Receive Him just as as a simple gift that He is to us. They rebuild oppressive systems of rules and requirements that allow them to take their destiny back, take their destiny into their own hands. Paul wants their lives to simply be built on another foundation, the grace of God known as Jesus Christ. And that's it. Nothing we can add to it. Nothing we can take away from it. He longs for the Spirit here to be unleashed in their lives so that they'll know the freedom that they can have when they serve the cause of Christ and the fruits of the Spirit. We know what they are, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, and even self-control. It's easy to forget. We're so apt to want to take control of everything ourselves. We want to be in charge rather than simply learn to depend on God and His grace for our daily actions and our activities. Church, don't get me wrong. It's not that effort isn't called for each day. It is. We can and we must use what God has given us, investing it for the sake of the transformation intended for all of us, for the world. But first, we must receive before we can achieve. Now, the world has it the other way around, right? You see, in the world, you have to achieve before you receive. You never get a promotion, right, until you've done something for it. That's a recipe for disaster when it comes to our faith. That's a counterfeit faith, and you must not live that way. So beware of those who will come by and they'll claim that they're the real Christians because of their style of worship. They're the real Christians because of the way they eat, because they don't drink, they don't have caffeine, they drive cars that are eco-friendly, or whatever it is they're trying to claim that makes them holier than the rest of us. Beware of those who claim that they're the real believers because, well, they don't wear jewelry, they don't have tattoos, they tithe their 10%, and they leave a smaller carbon footprint in the world than you do. The relative merits of those behaviors, I mean, they can and they should be discussed, but they have little to do with what constitutes a real Christian. You can worship in a variety of ways, and you can still be a real Christian. You can eat a variety of foods and still be a real Christian. You can drive a variety of cars. You can ride a motorcycle if you want. And you can still be a real Christian. It comes down to, friends, where you place your confidence. Where you place your trust. Do you put them in your own abilities to be able to save yourself? Or do you put them in God's abilities, your faith and trust in Him alone? I heard a story about a woman who wrote to a newspaper columnist about her friend. Her friend was diagnosed with cancer. She first asserted that her friend was a very negative person. And she asked whether this lady's critical and negative attitude, is that what caused her cancer? The response from this columnist was first to assert that no, her friend's cancer was not caused by her attitude. But then the columnist wrote this. He said, it concerns me that you are raising the question, why are you asking? Is it because you think that by not being negative, you can avoid cancer? 
Because if that's what you are thinking, you are mistaken. It astounds me that your friend who is in need of your support and kindness now is receiving very little from you because you are focused upon how to avoid contamination yourself rather than caring for her. Friends, that's an example of shifting a conversation to something more real, something more helpful in the world today. What Paul seems to be doing here in this first chapter of Galatians is this. He's shifting the focus for us. Shifting it from self-preservation and their efforts to avoid the contamination of the world that was being brought in by these Judaizers to the real and substantive engagement in life. That's the result of knowing that you cannot be contaminated any longer by the world thanks to the grace that is ours through Jesus Christ. The cancer of sin, it's no longer determinative for Christians. Now we live fully and freely because we know that we live for eternity. Never forget that you belong to Christ. The Spirit, He is alive in the world and in our lives. This memory, it must never fade from us. It will fight complacency. It will push us beyond the comfort zones that we have in our life. It will stimulate the moral imaginations that we have because upon this rock, we can build our life and we can build a community. Let's pray. I want to thank you for listening to the message today. I pray that this message somehow has touched you and created within you a passion for action for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have any questions or you need to make any decisions or you just need to talk to someone, I encourage you to contact your local pastor. And if you don't have one, if you don't have a local church, you may contact me through the church office at 620-336-2777. We'd love to see you on Sunday mornings in church for our celebration service. It's a great time of fellowship and worship of our Lord and Savior. Come join us. We know you'll be blessed and thanks again for listening to the Cherryville First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast and have a blessed day.